1: participants, please stand by. Your conference is ready to begin. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the first quarter 2021 results conference call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Philip Burns. Please go ahead, Mr. Burns.
2: Thank you, operator, and good morning, everyone. Before we begin, let me remind everyone that during our conference call this morning, we may include forward-looking statements about our future financial and operating results. I direct your attention to slide two. And our other regulatory filings. Joining me today is our CFO Stephen Cole. After I provide an update on our operational progress during the quarter, Stephen will provide an overview of our financial results and position. This quarter end marks the two-year anniversary since the inception of the European Residential REIT. For a significant period since ERes's inception. The business environment has been far from usual due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite these circumstances in which we and the rest of the world have been operating, over the past year, we were still able to grow our suite count by 415 units with several creative acquisitions throughout the Netherlands, representing an increase of 7% in the residential portfolio. Assets under management grew by even more than this, increasing by nine percent and, thereby reflecting the high quality and inherent value that characterizes our properties. Our market capitalization and public float continue to steadily climb as we rebound from the negative market reaction that came with the widespread onset of the COVID19 pandemic. However, their disconnect from ERE's intrinsic value remains. Slide 5 contains an overview of business developments during the first quarter of 2021, which have been steady as we continue to navigate through an environment of the COVID-19 pandemic. The fair value of our investment property portfolio has remained stable at 1.5 billion euros compared to the prior quarter, and our liquidity position likewise remains strong with ninety six million euros in cash and undrawn credit facility capacity, which is immediately available as at period end for acquisition purposes. This excludes an additional one hundred and sixty five million euros that is available to EREDs to acquire properties through its pipeline agreement with CAPRI, which was extended during Q one for an additional two year period, now effective until march twenty twenty three. The extension evidences not only CAPREIT's support for e-residents' strategic path, but also its ability to execute on these objectives in the near term and then transform opportunity and potential into realized long-term value. FFO and AFFO were both strong for the three months ended March 31, 2021 at 0.03 euro, 36 euro cents and 0.032 euro cents, respectively. Moreover, our payout ratios remain on target, inclusive of an increase in our distribution rate by 5% that the Board of Trustees approved during the first quarter and which became effective for a distribution with respect to March 2021. This increase is a further testament to the strength of eRes' robust, ongoing operational performance combined with the stability and security of its liquidity position. Slide six provides some statistics on our current residential portfolio. Average occupied monthly rents were 858 euro as at march 31 2021, representing an increase of 3.6 since Q1 of 2020, 3.6 percent since Q1 2020. Occupancy remained high and stable at 98.3 percent with a large majority of vacancy in the current period of treatables to renovation. As of March 31, 2021, 80 residential suites are under renovation, representing 78% of the vacancy. Upon completion of this renovation, a significant portion of these suites will convert from regulated to liberalized, demonstrating the execution of our value-add capital investment program. Turnover was 3.8% for the first quarter, compared to 4.1% in the prior year period. Rental uplift on that turnover was especially strong this quarter at 13.7% compared to 7.7% uplift achieved in the comparative period. The ERIS portfolio is well diversified by number of bedrooms, ensuring we meet the demand for smaller units as well as family. You can also see that approximately half of the current portfolio was constructed since 1980 providing an average age of under 40 years, resulting in lower ongoing repairs and maintenance costs and driving higher asset values. To elaborate further on the balanced mixture of our properties that constitutes our total portfolio, on slide 7, you can see that over 40% of our current properties are located in the high-growth urban conurbation of the Randstad, with approximately 25% directly located in the cities of Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague, and Utrecht. The rest of the portfolio was situated in smaller urban areas throughout the country. Further, approximately 35% of our portfolio was comprised of single-family homes, also known as Dutch row houses, a segment which represents an additional diversifying and unique contributor to our portfolio mix. Importantly, our suites continue to be nearly evenly divided between regulated and liberalized with a modest weighting toward liberalized, providing balanced growth in rents on turnover and indexation, as well as the opportunity to liberalize more suites. On that note, the Dutch government has recently enacted certain restrictions on indexation with a view to supporting the Dutch people during the COVID-19 pandemic. If rental increases due to indexation effective July 1st of this year, The rents of tenants of regulated suites cannot be indexed from July 1st, 2021 up until and including June 30th, 2022. Additionally, for an initial period of three years, the government has legislated that the maximum annual indexation for liberalized suites is capped at CPI plus 1%. Accordingly, within these parameters, e has served tenant notices to 94% of its liberalized suites. Across which the weighted average rental increase due to indexation was 3- 2.3%. In light of these regulatory and legislative developments, we want to highlight that eRes already has been operating successfully within the complex Dutch regulatory regime. In fact, this expertise constitutes one of our key competitive advantages a competence that is now becoming increasingly more valuable. Furthermore, it is important to emphasize that these changes do not apply to rent uplifts on turnover or capex-driven increases, including converting regulated suites to liberalized suites, which are significant drivers of our rental growth. Combined with the diverse composition of our balanced portfolio between urban and suburban, regulated and liberalized, and across single-family and multifamily homes, eRes is well positioned to continue operating efficiently and strategically within this continuously fluid and dynamic Dutch regulatory system. That brings us to slide eight, where I can provide a further update on the Dutch government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic to date. The substantial government assistance programs enacted since the beginning of the crisis continue today as we now fight a third wave of the coronavirus. The extension of social restrictions in response to this have been matched with continued support measures provided by the government to sustain the economy and the people of the Netherlands, effective until at least June 2021. With proactiveness in their response efforts, the Dutch government has been able to mitigate as much as possible the adverse impact of the outbreak. Combined with strong market fundamentals and underlying economic stability inherent in the Netherlands, unemployment has remained low, and the Dutch economy continues to outperform most of its Eurozone counterparts, evidencing the effectiveness of the Dutch government's support alongside the resilience of its economy and the robustness of the market dynamics throughout the country. And with that, I will now turn the call over to Stephen.
3: Thank you, Philip. As you can see on slide 10, our financial results continue to improve despite the adversity that still clouds the operating climate. Accretive acquisitions since the prior year period and strong top-line rental growth are the primary drivers behind this operational performance, together accounting for the 10% increase in our operating revenues compared to the first quarter of 2020. Net operating income, likewise, increased by 10% for the three months ended March 31st, 2021, compared to the prior year period, also attributable to contribution from acquisitions and our our higher monthly rents. However, this was offset by higher property and operating costs as a percentage of revenues, primarily due to higher R&M, including an increase in cleaning costs associated with the third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic as well as certain one-time recoverable RM expenses incurred in our REITs commercial portfolio. In aggregate, NOI margin remained strong at 75.5% for the three months ended March 31st, 2021, compared to 76% in the quarter ended March 31st, 2020. Importantly, NOI margin on our residential portfolio did remain stable at 75.4%, for the three months ended March 31st, 2021 and 2020. FFO and AFFO increased by 9% and 8% respectively compared to the first quarter of 2020 on both a total and per unit basis. FFO per unit increased by uh, 0.3 cents euro and AFFO by 0.2 cents euro, primarily due to the positive impact of increased Stabilize NOI and accretive acquisitions since the prior year period. The consistently, see, consistently improving trend line of our financial results and operating metrics continues on to slide 11, where you can see that our residential suite count increased by 7.4% compared to the first quarter of 2020. Our residential occupancy remains stable at 98.3% at both period ends. As Philip mentioned, The majority of our vacancy in the current period is due to units under renovation, Mm -hmm. pursuant to the execution of our value-enhancing CapEx program. Mm -hmm. Stabilized occupied AMR increased by 3.9%, demonstrating the top-line rental growth that we continue to achieve, supporting a corresponding 3.7% growth in net operating income on our stabilized portfolio. As mentioned, the latter was impacted by slightly higher operating costs. But in aggregate, the NOI margin on our stabilized portfolio remained stable at 75.3% for the three months ended March 31st, 2021, compared to 75.4% in the first quarter of 2020. Notably, and particularly in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, ERES continues to collect residential rental revenue at a rate consistent with its historical average. Our two office properties also provide stable and consistent cash flows. This collection profile has been underpinned by the operational focus on the process itself over the past year, which has allowed ERES to lower its aggregate accounts receivable year-over-year, a positive contrarian trend during these unprecedented times. Our liquidity position continues to support our business endeavors and remains conservative and strong as at March 31, 2021, as you can see on slide 12. Amid the unpredictability of the capital markets, ERES has been able to maintain its debt to gross book value within the target range of 45 to 50%, lower its weighted average mortgage effective interest rate, reflecting the persistently low financing rates throughout the European Union, and lower the conservative turn to maturity of its mortgage portfolio. In addition, with ample available liquidity of $96 as of March 31, 2021, which excludes the pipeline agreement and cash on hand dedicated to ongoing operational and CapEx requirements, we have immediate capacity to acquire over €240 million in assets. Further reinforcing this strong standalone financing structure is a significant supplemental source of in-place capital that is provided by Capri via the pipeline agreement, which we have recently extended, which increases capacity to over 500 million euros, magnifying e ability to capitalize on attractive opportunities. Our conservative financial profile not only supports our future growth, but enables us to grow our distributions as well. Thus, we were able to increase our rate of distribution by 5% during this past quarter and going forward. This pushes our distribution yield to approximately 4% subject to exchange rate fluctuation, which is high relative to industry average. Slide 13 provides more detail on our staggered mortgage portfolio, with the nearest debt maturity not occurring until December 2022. You can see that our recently added mortgage with this four-year term maturing in 2024 balances well within our existing profile. In addition, the majority of our mortgages are non-amortizing. As we continue to grow, we will ensure we maintain the smooth maturity profile in order to reduce renewal risk. Thank you for your time this morning, and I will now turn things back to Philip to wrap up.
2: Thank you, Stephen. In summary, in the passing... In passing the two-year milestone since e inception, we are proud to establish a track record of strong performance, which has substantiated the fundamental value and strength inherent in our strategy, operating platform, and business model. Although we continue to operate in atypical circumstances that, over the past year, has had limiting consequences on our ability to achieve fast-paced growth by acquisition, we are certain of e ability to continue to grow organically and strengthen operationally, even amid ongoing adversity. Notwithstanding these unprecedented times, we do expect that growth will be mirrored externally through creative acquisitions in the quarters to come. As we look to emerge from the uncertainty of this pandemic and its dampening ramifications, we look forward to realizing ERES's potential in releasing its inherent strategic value to stakeholders. In this regard, we believe that ERES offers a compelling investment opportunity. The REAP provides unique opportunity to invest in the fast-growing and attractive European multi-residential real estate market. Our partnership with CAPREAP brings significant benefits to our unit holders. We are growing our portfolio to attractive yield spreads with strong and highly accretive organic and external growth opportunities. We've established a strong foothold in the Netherlands multi-residential market, and we are building size and scale to drive value going forward. Our conservative balance sheet and financial position provides the flexibility and resources to drive further growth, and we have in place an experienced management team and board of trustees. Thank you for your time this morning, and we would now be pleased to take questions you may have.
1: Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset prior to making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your device's keypad. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star 2. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while the participants register. Thank you for your patience. The first question is from Jonathan Kelcher with TD Securities. Please go ahead.
4: Thanks. Uh good morning. Morning to um, first, first question, just the, the limits on the liberalized suites. Um why like three years, why why was that number chosen?
2: I mean we don't uh we don't have great insight into that. I think the message was they wanted it to be more than a uh a short term one year solution, so they have uh, indicated that it is initially for a three-year term and have suggested that it will be reviewed after that point in time. But there was no great uh, disclosure or transparency on, on how they arrived at three
4: years. Okay, so is that is that something that you think could become permanent?
2: Honestly, it's speculating. Uh, it's possible. Um, again, things like this, uh, from a policy perspective, uh, as a practitioner, we think it's very counterproductive to solving the larger problem, which is a lack of supply. Uh, Politicians don't always take that on board. Uh, So if in the coming three years, uh, as anticipated, the supply uh, side uh, does not get better, which it's hard to believe that it would, you you would hope that the politicians wouldn't extend it further. But they don't always follow um, tangible market indicators when setting policy.
4: Okay. Uh, do you, does this um, do you think this will change your your operating model at all in, in terms of of maybe running with a bit higher vacancy in, in order to to maximize um, maximize your rents on turnover?
2: Again, I mean, I don't think we'll need to. Um, you know, I, I saw your your preview note um, this morning. Uh, I, I think you're accurate and you know, even though this does dampen uh, the rental growth that comes through indexation, um, we are seeing, you know, the ability to maintain high occupancy levels, and we're getting substantially higher turnover uplifts. So net-net, uh, we still believe that we're going to be within our range of 3 to 4% top-line growth probably closer to the lower end than to the higher end as a result of the indexation, but it really doesn't change our approach. Um, you know, we are seeing, you know, significant demand across, you know, all of the segments, you know, regulated, liberalized and conversion uh, and seeing uh, stronger uplifts on those turnovers. So I don't think it requires and we don't anticipate a, a different operating paradigm as a result of this.
4: Okay. And then just last question. Do what? Um, what, if any, Impact on, on property values, do you think this has?
2: I don't think it'll affect the property values very much, if at all. Uh, you know, yields, you know, through last year continued to compress, uh, even in light of the, the pending real estate transfer tax changes. I mean, there has been very little transaction activity in Q1 uh, in any event. Uh, but you're still, uh, if you can, you know, get inflationary plus rental growth. Uh, you know, this year when you know, the cap would be 2.4%. You know, that's still, in my mind, uh, absolute good top line growth. And in today's environment, uh, on a relative basis, I think that's still top line good top line growth. So, and then if you layer on E-Res and Cap rates' ability to, to outperform that and, and get above three uh, percent, I don't think it's going to have a uh, an expansionary effect on cap rates.
4: Okay, thanks. Uh, I will uh, turn it back.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Brad Sturges with Raymond James. Please go ahead.
5: Hi there. Um, just to follow on uh, Jonathan's questions there, with with a three-year term on the uh, ind- indexation cap for liberalized suites, does that, could that suggest an extension on the, on the cap for regulated suites as well?
2: I mean, you have to make a slight distinction between how those two things happen. So um, taking the regulated um, to zero indexation for 2021 um, was not a change in law. Uh, That was just the housing minister exercising discretion that she had already, um, where putting a cap on indexation for liberalized units was actually a change in law. So, again, whether or not the housing um, minister may may choose to extend that next year, I think it's to be determined. It probably has a lot of influence on the recovery from the pandemic. It also will be influenced by who the new housing minister is going forward. Um, The previous housing minister is – in the party, which was the second largest uh, vote getter in the recent elections, but it's really hard to say what that new regulator will do. But that was not a change in law. That was just a change in the parameters that the, that the minister, I'm um, sorry, I keep on saying regular, that the minister already has the, the power to set each year.
5: And there's no um, legislation for the regulated suites at this stage in terms of making that more permanent?
2: No, because it's. The regulated uh, uh, regime is already designed to control the regulated um, uh, volume of sweets. Uh, inflation is what it is, and then they can set how much uh, the cap is uh, depending upon um, uh, rev- revenue or, or a party's income. And so this year, Uh, she as it were was a woman Um, she elected to set it at zero Uh, so there isn't required a a law change going forward as it pertains to the regulated suites but that didn't apply to liberalized suites because they were outside that regime so that's why a law was required to put that cap in place
5: okay and and then um, I guess you're getting uh, higher realized Rent growth on on term. Where do you think that can trend to in the coming quarters, given the gap? Well, again, in- I, yeah. it, it sure. basically it, it's it's just deferring the rental
2: growth. Quite frankly, so you know, if you think that last year we self imposed a cap on our indexation, uh, the market has you know been in unprecedented time, but we have consistently been getting higher. Uh, turnover uplifts when our our suites turn I think that's a result of the strength of the market but it's also a result of deferred growth because we didn't index people as high as we could last year this year um, we'll be putting in you know, zero for regulated and we'll be putting in you know, 2.4 for the liberalized. So when those suites turn over, then we would be able to take those to the maximum regulated rent or to what then prevailing market is. So um, it isn't lost rental growth as a result of these. It is just deferred rental growth. And because I believe we've consistently demonstrated our ability to maximize that upon turnover with Eres and Capri working collectively. Um, we will still be able to extract that growth, but it just defers it uh, uh, to the turnover point in time as opposed to necessarily capturing a lot of it at the indexation points. Okay.
5: Uh, maybe maybe switching gears, uh, you know, I guess you, you've highlighted uh, in the past, you know, about – eventually or potentially the acquisition strategy will expand to to new regions or countries. Does the the, the change in legislation in the Netherlands, does that accelerate maybe expansion plans or, you know, thinking about how to more manage political risk? And if so, you know, what would be, I guess, the required scale to to enter into a new market? I, I don't think this change, um, um,
2: in and of itself or independently influences us to go to another market. I mean, I don't want to downplay that yes, this is a change, but what it is now is, is, again, we've always advocated, Capri has always advocated, regulation isn't necessarily bad so long as it's transparent and you know the rules and then you can operate within the rules. And then if you have the type of experience and systems and teams that can maximize those rules, which we at ERES and Capri do, then we can live within that. So, you know, the thing that, that is okay with this is, yes, the rates are lower uh, at indexation level, but I was explaining, I think we can in part capture those at turnover and you're seeing our turnover uplifts increase substantially Um, but again it gives us transparency and we now know that those um, those parameters going forward and again if we were you know targeting between three and a half to four percent over the past two years and we were getting closer to four if we're still targeting you know three to four percent and we're still going to be getting above three I think that is a great place to deploy capital uh, and we would continue to seek to do that Again, as you say, we've mentioned in the past that we, um, we would expect to ultimately go into other jurisdictions, and that remains to be the case. Um, if we saw an interesting opportunity in the right market with the right dynamics at the right pricing, uh, we certainly would explore it. Um, but these regulatory changes in and of themselves um, are not forcing us to, to move earlier than we otherwise would, although we continue to be and monitor those other markets to, to see if they're interesting for U.S.
5: Okay. That, that's great. Uh, I'll turn it back. Thank you.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Himanshu Gupta with Bank. Please go ahead. Thank you, and good morning.
6: Hey, so so sure. just on the uh, impact from the indexation limit uh, imposed on the liberalized suites, uh, I think you mentioned not much impact expected on the valuation. Uh, what about the valuation spread between Randstad and non-Randstad markets? When do you think you know, that spread might come down now, I mean, given that you don't have much ability to charge higher rents on the RANSTAT liberalized portfolio there?
2: I, I don't see there being a, a big distinction uh, between the RANSTAT and the non rent I mean, again, our portfolio is well diversified. Uh, again, the, the market rents tend to trend up faster in the roundstad. The um, turnover tends to be higher in the roundstad than in the non roundstad So, again, if we're consistently doing better on our turnover uplift, then I think the profile for the roundstad flats, flats um, remains very attractive. Again, I, I also am pleased that we continue to have good diversification, but I don't think there's going to be a market market difference uh in terms of valuation um profile going forward with the round and non roundstad.
6: got it in our segments
2: in our segments just to be clear about again we're in the mid-market segment so you know at the at the high end the luxury segments you know you might see some softening uh in the round and Amsterdam in particular but but that's not a segment in which we play
6: Got it. And then again, on the impact, you know, uh, we spoke about valuation. What about the transaction volumes? I mean, do you think this might trigger more transaction volume uh, in the near term, or less transaction volume?
2: Again, as as we all have talked about either on the last call, or independently, or in other contexts, uh, it was very much anticipated that Q1 and probably Q2 would be slower um, this year, not because of um, uh, any you know changes in terms of the regulatory regime, but just because there was so much volume uh, that that transacted in the second half, and in particularly Q4 of 2020, and and that's very much the case, uh, you know, there just has not been. Uh, very much uh, transaction volume uh, happening year to date. Uh, again, we're you know constantly in dialogue with all the players, both on the buy side and on the sell side. Uh, everybody's saying the same thing: that yes, there hasn't been a lot of activity, um, but people do um, expect that activity to come in the second half of the year. You know, the predominant sellers that we've transacted with over um, the past years has been the insurance companies and the pension funds. They still have capital to deploy. They still want to you know, deploy that. the new build, uh, forward funding, forward purchasing segments, and as a result, they want to rotate their older, more stabilized stock, which we've historically been a a good outlet for them. Uh, We anticipate that happening. Uh, but just there was uh, enough volume at the end of last year. You know, they're not pressed to do it, and, and people expect for that to, to happen uh, in the second half of the year. Um, again, Q1 was very, very quiet. You know, Q2, you know, there's a bit more um, activity, more on the off-market side. You know, we're looking uh, at some things that, that we remain optimistic about. Uh, so, again, we were very committed to, we remain very optimistic uh, that we will grow externally this year um, within the Dutch market.
6: All right. Uh, And then, you know, uh, on the acquisition strategy, obviously, you know, the focus will be on acquisitions. Uh, What will be the strategy now? I mean, are you more focused on regulated now versus liberalized? Uh, I mean, with the view that you have an optionality to convert them down the road, uh, is that where the focus is going to be?
2: No, I mean, I think you have to be, you know, um, careful, you know, if, if you, you know, make a dramatic strategic change because of this. Uh, again, when when uh, we very much like the conversion profile of the you know regulated to liberalized, uh, but not every regulated flat is liberalizable or convertible. You know, it needs to have the right characteristics. You know, we generally liked having that, you know, fifty-fifty plus or minus, uh, you know, split between regulated and liberalized. You know, I think we're you know closer to forty-sixty right now, but I think that's the right split because again, the the pendulum you know might you know turn back the other way. Uh, and so I think having that diversification, we tend to think of the regulated stuff, even if it's not converting, being more bond-like, very transparent, steady as she goes. We tend to think that the liberalized stuff has a bit more, um, growth potential in it. The market with, in which they sit are probably growing a bit more. Um, so I think it continues to, to be the right um, approach to have good diversification, which is what we've built so far and what we would intend to, to do going forward. I, I certainly wouldn't envision us making a a, a, a significant uh, turn toward focusing only on one segment.
6: That's fair enough. Uh, and then just turning on the IFRS valuation, uh, no change in cap on a quarter over quarter basis. Uh, was there any impact from this real estate transfer tax? Uh, I think it was effective January, and tax was increased to eight percent from two percent. So, anything, any impact there?
3: No, there wasn't. I mean, it was already incorporated with the um, with the view that there will be a real estate transfer tax. So, in terms of year-end values, they stayed consistent. Uh, we didn't see significant transactions in Q1, so we we kept the values the same.
6: Got it. Uh, and maybe just last question uh, from my side on the overall rent growth outlook. Uh, so basically, is it fair to say that, you know, 3, 3% rent growth uh, from July is still very much possible? I mean, given that, you know, assuming 1.35 on the indexation stuff, you know, liberalized, price regulated, and then 10 to 15% on the uh, on the turnovers, that gets to you around like 3% rent growth. Is that fair,
2: Mr. Yeah we we, we, yeah, we we continue to believe and would just maintain our guidance of top line rental growth of three to four percent. But you know, as as you've just highlighted, and as we were talking about with Jonathan, it'll probably be uh, toward the lower end of that as a result of the new regulatory um, parameters.
1: Sure. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I'll, I'll turn it back. Thank you. The next question is from Matt Logan with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
7: Thank you, and good morning. Hey, Matt. Matt. Philip, when we roll all of the the rent control changes up, it really sounds awfully familiar with what we have in Ontario, where you get 1% to 2% contractual growth for setting tenants. You've got a mid-teens, mark-to-market potential in sweep turn. And, you know, generally about 10 to 15% of your portfolio turns over every year. Like, Would that be a fair assessment of the framework for for rent growth in the Netherlands today? Yeah, I mean, as as we sit there today, that's absolutely correct.
2: I mean, we, you know, have historically been – I, I think again, my my knowledge of the Ontario or the Canadian market is is not not so deep. But it's my understanding that historically, uh, turnover rates have been you know closer to twenty percent, but trending down. Um, where what you're seeing in the Netherlands, at least in the past twelve to to fifteen months for us, is ours have been closer to twelve or thirteen percent, and now they're trending up to you know maybe fourteen uh, percent. We don't know exactly where it's going to end up for the year. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think are indeed uh, turnover rates are are trending up modestly. Uh, I I don't I don't have a sense, and, and I've uh, interrogated. that's probably a little bit too strong on board, but I've inquired regularly from the operational guys. Do they see that uplift in turnover uh, being any indicator of a lagging effect of COVID? They don't. Uh, and we're also seeing in parallel, you know, a, a substantial uplift in the turnover increases, which would demonstrate that it, it's probably not a negative catalyst. Uh, but I do, you know, see now um, more of the growth, you know, coming, you know, from the turnover than before it would have been more evenly balanced when we are getting the consistent CPI plus uh, on the indexation. Good
7: color. And was there anything unusual in the 14% leasing spreads in Q1, or would that be fairly reflective of the mark-to-market potential currently?
2: No, I mean, nothing unusual. Again, if you compare it to, um, you know, our, our quarters, you know, throughout 2020, relatively consistent. Um, you know, just good, strong turnover uplift across, you know, each of the segments, you know, regulated, liberalized and conversions, um, even, uh, you know, a little bit stronger, as it were, on the regulated sweet turnover uplift than we would have seen in the couple
7: of quarters before. And on the margin front, would it be fair to say the outlook is still for things to remain
3: generally stable to perhaps up uh, 100 basis points? Yeah, we're, we're still um, targeting that. 76 to 77% NOI margin. I think uh, in Q1, it was really just due to some of the one time RM type costs and timing and seasonality of RM. So uh, if you're building it into your model, I would say 76 to 77%. That makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that, Stephen. And maybe one last housekeeping
7: item for me. In terms of your same property table on page 17 of your MDNA, Would you have the revenue expense and NOI growth figures handy, excluding the service charge income? Or perhaps you could circulate those figures after the call? Yeah, we can take that offline. Uh, We can share that. That'd be great. I'll turn it back. That's all from me. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Kyle Stanley with Desjardins. Please go ahead.
8: Thanks. morning, guys. Um, So just kind of not to beat a dead horse, but looking at the um, regulation on a liberalized suite, could you just talk maybe historically how you've set indexation uh, for the liberalized portion of your portfolio? And, you know, do you expect this to be, you know, much different going forward?
2: Yeah. So historically, um, the, the only thing you had to be aware of was restrictions within your lease. And of course, the market's ability to bear it. And so we went through, it's basically uh, a suite by suite exercise. It's incredibly time consuming um, to to see um, where the maximum amount each lease could be. Again, our template lease is CPI plus five. Uh, but again, we, we have historic leases that, you know, there's a variety. Some might be CPI plus CPI plus one, CPI plus three. So we go, see, we go through and we see, um, okay, what does the lease say? Where's the current rent versus market? And how much room do we think that we have? And then we would always look to optimize that. Uh, and then, of course, has market moved, etc. cetera? Uh, and it was a very granular exercise. Um, this year, it was much less granular. We basically said, okay, everybody gets 2.4%, CPI is 1.4 plus 1, that's 2.4%, unless of course there's a lease restriction that wouldn't have allowed that. or if it would have been somebody who just moved in. Uh, And so that's why you saw 94% and the average is, you know, like 2.3 instead of 2.4%. So historically very, very um, granular, heavy lifting uh, to understand where each suite was and also um, what a a potential lease cap might be.
8: Okay, great. That's good color. Um, I think just moving on, uh, is there any update on the, 200 million euros in landlord concessions from the government as a result of the the freeze earlier this year and kind of how that may uh, impact the REIT?
2: Yeah, I mean, there there isn't, is a short answer. Um, You know, when the Housing Minister announced the regulated indexation guidance of 0% this year. That is the point in time where she also made available the $200 million. Again, the landlord levy only applies to regulated suites. Um, and it has not been taken further in terms of defining how that may um, come to pass. Since that point in time, we've had elections, uh, and also now the parties are trying to form the government, so um, we don't have a lot of visibility on that yet. Uh, but if it you know does come through uh, as she had suggested, then you know we believe that provides some margin upside for us, which would in part offset some of the lost top line growth.
8: Okay, great. And then just the last one, I guess a little bit of a segue on, on kind of what you just said. So, given that the the Dutch elections are, are now past us and they're you know forming the government, uh, although it is you know the the incumbent still in power, you know, do you expect any kind of political changes um, to the landscape that that may impact, um, I guess the the rental market, I guess in addition to to the new regulation that we've we've seen more recently. Again, just to make certain everybody's aware I am not a, a
2: political pundit or expert and do not know much more uh, if any than the next person uh, but our impression is our belief is the election results were fine slash good uh, the party of the, the current Prime Minister, Mark Ritter, the BDD party, they continue to be uh, the second highest, or sorry, the, the highest um, uh, participation in Parliament. Uh, their uh, coalition partner, the B66 party, who also used, is the party where the, the outgoing housing minister sat, they're now the second largest um, party uh, in the new government. Uh, So they need one other party to join them to to have a majority. So that is a lot of continuity uh, in terms of the political environment. They're both, you know, market-oriented parties. Uh, So we don't anticipate any dramatic shifts from the government uh, previously. And we would expect also uh, Mark Rutte to continue to be the prime minister. So, you know... Strange things can happen, uh, but as a result of the election and what we anticipate a coalition to look like, we would not expect anything um, dramatic coming out of that in and of itself.
8: Okay, great. Um, That's it for me. I'll turn it back. Thanks.
1: Thank you. Once again, please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. The next question is from Matt Kornak with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Cornak, your line is now open. Please proceed.
4: Sorry, mute. Um, <laughs> uh, just one for me. It's been a pretty thorough call. Uh, in terms of turnover, it is fairly low. Um, it, it did tick up, which I, I guess would be somewhat counterintuitive going forward given the rent controls. But is your thought that turnover as it is now? Is kind of the equivalent of natural turnover, death, divorce, et cetera or, or could we expect that it would go lower on things like uh liberalized sweets?
2: yeah, I mean it's a good question over the past years, it's really been around that twelve to thirteen percent uh Last year, it was a little bit higher because Q1 was a little bit higher because we went into Q1 with some higher vacancy that that we had bought with some of the acquisitions, and then you saw it in Q2, three, and four last year trend back down to where, on an annualized basis, it would have been around thirteen percent. Um, if you annualize our Q1, you're going to be you know you know fourteen, fifteen percent. I don't think that's a dramatic move, firstly. And secondly, off of the one quarter, I'm not prepared to say it's the new level. Um, but again, I, I think in that uh, you know that 10 to 15 range is, is probably where the natural um, you know turnover percentage is going to lie, and we've been right in the middle of it. And if we tick up a little bit more now, it, it's not going to uh, cause me to think there's a, a big change of foot. Again, as I mentioned uh, earlier, you know we have been aware that it's ticking up a little bit, and I've been very keen and regularly. Um, You know, chatting with the local operational managers on the ground to make certain that it's not suggesting, you know, something coming out of COVID and demographic shifts, and and I'm assured that it's not. So, um, and we're seeing such strong turnover rental uplifts in parallel, you know, it's not like people are trying to search for cheaper flats either. So I'm not saying it's an anomaly in the data. Um, It definitely has uh, ticked up a little bit, but I'm not reading anything or taking anything away from it in terms of a, a big shift.
4: Yeah, and presumably tenants aren't leaving liberalized – sorry, regulated suites that can be liberalized unless they have to because they're getting pretty favorable <laughs> products there for the location size, et cetera. Is that a fair point?
2: Yeah, and, and, and again, if you really want to, you know, uh, investigate the data, you know, the uh, the regulated turnover uplifts were, you know, on a percentage basis up, you know. A lot compared to what they were doing last year, so, so it's hard to say. But yet the turnover percentage is almost rock solid the same. So um, we, we're not seeing um, any real outlier that's grabbing our attention in terms of a, a structural shift, you know, in any of the the categories that we track. Uh, although we're you know watching very carefully.
4: Okay, great. Thanks, guys.
1: Thank you. There are no further questions registered at this time, so I will turn the meeting back over to Mr. Burns.
2: Again, thank you all for joining us this morning. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to contact either of us at any time. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your participation.